I discovered acting in high school, and it woke something up inside of me. I had messed around with singing and playing guitar, painting, computer graphics, and all kinds of self-expression. But when I found acting, it became my everything. So much so that I started failing out of school because I became so focused on it. I ended up going to college for theater arts, and while I got a well-rounded education, the number one thing I wanted to do was act in musicals. And then my senior year, I did an internship in a casting office and saw the back end of the acting lifestyle, and suddenly I had no direction anymore. After college, I messed around. I tried painting again. I tried music again. Nothing felt right. I applied to grad school for acting and was relieved when I didn't get in. I tried my hand at directing, which I really enjoyed. I did Godspell and the Vagina Monologues, both very fulfilling. But something was still missing. Two years after college, I met Ryan Geelan, co-founder of Believe, and I watched his film, The Graduates. After a long Q&A where I asked the majority of the questions, he offered me an internship selling his movie on the boardwalk. I dropped everything, which was next to nothing, and spent the summer working as hard as I could. And at the end of that summer, he told me I should move to New York City and start a career as a filmmaker. Seems odd, right? Seems like crazy advice. Well, it felt that way to me, too, until he pointed out that I had been making films and telling stories my whole life. You see, the only constant through all of those wandering explorations was my trusty video camera. That thing came everywhere with me. In high school, I made behind-the-scenes films of the rehearsals that were turned into short documentaries. In college, I made mini-vlogs about my college life, music videos with my friends, and short films. And after college, I was experimenting with stop-motion animation and filmmaking with my brother. I even helped my buddy make a 45-minute zombie movie that I edited. So why was it a shock when Ryan told me to come join the indie filmmaking scene? Because I always viewed my camera as just a part of me, and never in a million years thought anyone was paying attention or that anything I was doing was worth paying attention to. But all that was about to change. The first few years, I felt like a sore thumb. I felt like I was wearing the mask of a filmmaker. I even got my first job in a small production studio, and on my first day was handed a professional camera that had so many knobs and buttons I had never seen before that I almost cried and quit my job out of fear. Every day for years I struggled, feeling like I was barely pulling off the greatest heist of my life and that at any moment it would all come crumbling down. But the reality was, I was taking risks, I was learning, and I was growing up. Today we're talking about that feeling. The feeling of, I don't belong here. The feeling of, someone is going to find me out. That horrible, counterproductive, self-conscious feeling that creeps in to tell you you're a failure even when what you're doing is meaningful and fulfilling and even paying the rent. It's called imposter syndrome and, oh, it's so evil. Let's have a moment. You know that little devil that pops up on the shoulders of cartoons, dressed in red spandex with a dollar store cape and plastic horns? You know the one. That's exactly how I view imposter syndrome. It's like a mini me dressed in the cheapest see-through costume. When I was younger, the costume looked pretty real. I believed that little devil and everything it said, but as I grew up, gained more experience, and learned more about our world, I started to see it for what it really was. It was no devil at all. It was me, in a disposable costume fit for someone half my size. Ridiculous. 
I overcame my imposter syndrome during a camping trip in Yosemite National Park with a bunch of people I admire, all cool people doing their own things in life. During the last night of the trip, we sat around the fire and opened up to each other, and I saw that every single one of them had been experiencing the same feelings of being an imposter. We cried that night, one by one, as we took turns opening up and then washed each other in honest support and admiration. It was such an awakening because before this moment, I assumed I was the only one who felt like an imposter in my entire life. This experience of talking it through with some peers helped me realize that it's okay to take risks. It's okay to step into a role that I don't think I'm fully qualified for. People do this every day, and that role is being offered because someone sees the potential in me. If we're being honest, and I always try to be, I'm not totally over my imposter syndrome. It still rears its little party city head from time to time, but what I'm able to do now is shrug it off and say to myself, I can figure out just about anything, and I'm not afraid to ask for help. And for me, that's enough to power through the doubt and take a leap of faith into the next chapter of my unconventional life. This doesn't just pertain to the entertainment industry or working with a camera. I realize my story is not that common, but what I learned around that campfire was that this is a universal feeling. Around that fire was a writer, a flight attendant, a musician, an actor, an old college buddy, someone starting a business, a freelancer, and a post-college graduate looking for the next step to take. And we all shared in struggling with imposter syndrome. I want to bring back my dear friend Debbie to dive a little deeper into the subject. If you were with us last week, you may already know that Debbie De La Riva is the founder of Mental Health Matters 2, a website of incredible resources for anyone struggling, affected by, or just interested in mental health issues. So Debbie, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good, Josh. How about yourself? I'm pretty good. We've been talking about imposter syndrome, and I think it would be nice to just define it um, as clearly as possible. What is imposter syndrome? The simple definition is this. It really is this internal experience where you don't feel a lot of confidence in yourself, or it might not be so generalized. Maybe you just don't feel competent in a certain area. If you're experiencing the imposter syndrome, there's this inner dialogue that's going on in your mind that says, I'm not good enough, pretty enough, tall enough, smart enough, whatever enough. So you can imagine um, how anxiety-provoking that is because you always feel like somebody's going to find you out. I remember when I started to go out and, and talk to the community openly about my my depression, I was almost having a panic attack. I could feel it coming up as people were coming into the to the room. And my thought was, if that people figure out that I'm depressed, they're going to wonder, what am I doing on stage? I obviously haven't figured it out. Right. But as we <laughs> learned in our depression episode, it's more about managing and not defeating depression. Um mm-hmm. So maybe that was a helpful way of thinking about it that got you back on the rails. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And and plus to know that everybody feels the imposter syndrome, that has been super helpful. I really thought I was the only one. Do we know why it happens? Because it's it really is just the most bizarre feeling. Um, I I have for 10 years now walked into rooms with cameras, set up interviews, set up lighting, and had the end result turn out well. I've obviously made mistakes. I had one day where I recorded a half a day and forgot to plug in the microphone. It's part of learning. Um, and maybe those like little mistakes in the past, maybe holding on to those are part of the reason. But I'm I'm good at my job. And 
you know, people watch my stuff and tell me I'm good at my job. So why do I feel like I'm not good at my job? No, no, totally. I, I get it. And I guarantee, Josh, just because you and I are talking about this, it's going to help so many people realize, oh, my God, I'm not the only one. When you look at a long time ago, how our brains are wired, we are wired to survive. Uh, that's what that fight and flight thing is when we're in danger. But what people don't realize about the fight and flight, it also has to do with emotional danger. A long time ago, we had to be connected to the pack uh, back in the caveman's days, let's say this, for example, because that's how you survived. People worked together. People um, fought together, got food together. And this whole idea about uh, not being emotionally connected or being seen as flawed uh, creates this feeling of being judged by others or being seen as less than are not worthy to be in the pack. So we really are talking about uh, neurological programming from a long, long time ago that we got to fit in or bad things are going to happen. I never would have made that connection. I'm, my mind's kind of blown a little bit because this whole time I've just been thinking of it as like, well, I've made mistakes before. I, I obviously have anxiety about it. But to know that it's like kind of baked into being an animal mm -hmm. um, is is really cool. And it helps to know that. <laughs> I wanted people to realize that kind of where this whole term came from to, to understand it, too. It really it didn't come out to the 70s, believe it or not, where psychologists named this imposter syndrome. And they said, hey, if you have the following characteristics, you might be struggling with this. Uh, a lot of self-doubt. You um, have a hard time owning, like you said, owning your own successes. And people who had, tend to hyper-focus on all the things they didn't do right, as opposed to, you know, what they did right. Overachievers, wow. That's a big part of a, the imposter syndrome, too, that they need to be seen. they got to go over and above, so you'll never figure out that they're flawed. And many times people tend to sabotage their successes, meaning like, hey, you, know, you did a great job in that production, but, you know, you were 10 minutes late. I mean, come on. And then we begin to focus on that. Yeah, nobody likes getting in trouble. People don't understand when they're in this toxic relationship and they're being screamed at. Our children who tell their parents, hey, look at this. And the parent goes, that's not so, so good. You could have done better. Um, you know, how all this cumulatively affects our self-esteem. One day, we just get super anxious about our abilities. I'm telling you, it's the same type of physiological response as... as you know, having harm as being in physical danger is what I'm trying to say. You know, when I'm doing therapy with, with so many different people, but I can tell you, Josh, I see the imposter syndrome in different degrees, in different nature, but I always see that it's there. And, you know, it's a two-step process. One of them is, is doing what you and I are doing, getting educated about the imposter syndrome and going back in time and try to figure out when you s stop believing in yourself when you started having those self-doubts. And then the second part of therapy is um, having people realize these, these thinking patterns that keep them in the imposter syndrome, like um, focusing on the negative, like not owning successes, chopping up to luck when you've done a good speech, you know, that kind of thing. We've brought up social media a couple of times. Um... And it's, it's so easy to fall into the trap of like, oh, my video's getting, you know, 50 hearts or you know, a thousand views. And then the next day you post something and it gets, you know, 10 or four. Mm -hmm. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. It could be the algorithm that has been built to, you know, 
identify certain right. movements or certain words, but what we associate it with as human beings is, oh, I'm failing today and I was so successful yesterday. One of the first things I ask my clients to do is get off social media, at least for a while, and until we can, uh, you know, really assess what's going on inside when you see somebody in an amazing place or, like you said, somebody likes on your comments. Knowing that um, people use social media to present them their best selves mm -hmm. um, and that you're not necessarily seeing the truth of, of what's going on in people's lives at all. Right. And, and, and you're bringing up a good point, too, Josh. It's the whole idea that you can intellectualize what is happening, like you said, about the algorithms or what have you. But you and I are talking about two different parts of our brain. You're talking about the frontal lobe where you can take in the information and integrate it and, and make a decision. You and I, when you come to the imposter syndrome, though, that's more of the emotional part of your brain, that fight or flight, I'm, I'm in, I'm out, I'm considered brilliant or I'm considered stupid. That's the emotional part of the brain that, there's a, that uh, you, can, uh, you can stay stuck there until you really have that time to think about your thinking. We've talked about how, how it pops up in a professional life or in a social life. What, how does it present itself in the bleeding disorders community? Are there specific ways that are um, unique to that community? Yes. Um, and it, it really goes back to this whole idea of the less than experience of growing up or the I'm different experience growing up, because that's the last thing in the world we want to do is, uh, is be different or defective. I was doing a men's group in uh, Louisiana, and and one of the gentlemen jumped up and said, "I tell you what, the imposter syndrome here it is." She said, "He says you don't really understand this lady, but I could be like shot in the leg or have this terrible pain going on in my knees, and I'll be that first person to go. Yeah, I'll do the jump on the skateboard, you know, or the jump uh, with the bike. We'll do anything we can to make sure you don't understand uh, uh, the pain that I'm in." Because um, so the overcompensate is basically one of the things, and uh, so much performance anxiety comes from imposter syndrome. You know, meaning that I've just got to ace it. I got to hit the bullseye. I can't even just be on the target because if I don't, people are going to figure out I'm defective because my blood doesn't clot. It's just um, I see it all around. I feel like in men, it can sometimes present in a way that's outdated. I don't want to isolate women or or say anything that that makes it like a uniquely male experience but i feel like growing up in the 80s and 90s there's this sort of machismo that comes along mm -hmm. with like being male that you're supposed to you know always be the one stepping forward and and doing the the scary thing because you're brave or whatever you're not trying to say that men have it worse in this degree uh than women because you, you don't want to invalidate the women's experience too but I can, I have to say you're definitely onto something. The societal pressures of a of a of a man to to provide, to not deal to not uh, talk about expressing any type of faults, um, to to be the all together put together guy, it is stronger for men, I believe, than the women. Because we've also not only do we put these additional pressures on you, but <laughs> society has then taken away the uh, the parts that can help you, which are to express your feeling, to 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 admit that you don't know everything and you don't know the solutions to to every problem. So whereas women are, it's more acceptable for us to talk about our problems and express them. 
the the flip side of the coin, the issue for women is um, being silenced for so many years and and really still fighting in society to have those like top level jobs or to be mm-hmm. the voice in the room that's heard because you know men have dominated for so long and maybe because of their own imposter syndrome. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely true. I want to talk about ways that to help the imposter syndrome. Number one, you're doing it today, um, Josh, with Bloodstream. You're helping people realize how normal these feelings are and it affects people on, on different levels. And then what do we do about it is, again, acknowledge our feelings, think about our thinking, and then it goes back to taking baby steps. I mean, uh, that is maybe you can give yourself a little bit of credit this particular time. Or maybe I can look less at all the mistakes I made during this broadcast. You know, that, that's part of it. And another way you can really deal with your own imposter syndrome is to focus on other people. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but when you're stuck in this imposter, I'm not good enough thing, you're just thinking about, all these self-limiting beliefs. But when you uh, help somebody else, it changes your whole dogma, your whole schism about how you feel about yourself. I do have capabilities. I am worthwhile. I've got a purpose here. Yeah, I've never once regretted helping somebody else. Um, yes. I've always felt good afterwards. So that's mm-hmm. great advice. I love that. Yeah, I can, I can tell you you've got a great heart. <laughs> Thanks. Before we go... Debbie, would you mind taking us on a little moment of mindfulness to set our expectations for the rest of a good day? Oh, yeah, definitely. Great. So we'll end on a short meditation and send you, dear listener, on your way to a healthy and happy rest of your day. If you want more resources pertaining to mental health, please check out mentalhealthmatters2.com. That's mentalhealthmatters2.com, where you can find just tons of information and resources pertaining to mental wellness. I'll see you next week for another mini episode where we talk about trauma and mental health. And now for your moment of mindfulness with Debbie. What I'd like you to do, I invite you to to close your eyes for just a moment and realize that you're breathing. As silly as that sounds. But I don't want you just to breathe. I want you to actually experience your breath. And what you want to do is breathe in and count to four and breathe out and count backwards from four. So it's breathe in, one, two, three, four, out, four, three, two, one. and do a couple of cycles of this. And really feel what that's like to have air in your belly or what the air feels like as it goes through your nose. And then whenever you're ready, just kind of let your breathing go to normal. And it's really, really important for people to understand that all of these feelings, whether it's feeling depressed or anxious or not good enough, they're just as normal as the breath 
going in and out of your body. It's simply the human experience. And when you can just have your feelings without attaching any type of meaning to it, allow the feelings to do their job, and that is to let you know that things might not be okay right now, but eventually they will be. And then after you've had a few minutes to do this, you might want to focus yourself back into the room. But know at any time you can always go back to this safe, quiet spot where you can have your feelings, you can experience them, know the normal, and move about your day. Just like the breath continues to go in and out, so will different challenges, and you'll rise above them. So I'd like to invite people to go ahead and open your eyes, kind of feel yourself in the room again, and know it's just okay not to feel okay sometimes. <laughs>